Well, today we're actually going to begin a new series of teaching on the book of Acts. Vamos a empezar una nueva serie de enseñanza en el libro de Hechos. And for many of you, you know that as a church community, we've actually been studying the book of Acts for over a year with some pauses in between. We've been in Acts and we've divided it up into three parts. Last fall, we went over Acts chapters 1 to 10 in a series that we called Carrying On the Mission of Jesus. And then this past spring, we went through Acts chapters 11 to 20 in a series that we called Local Missionaries, Seeking and Serving God Here and Now. So you can catch up with all of those messages online. But now today, and we're going to be in Acts until the beginning of December, and we're going through chapters 21 to 28, and it's in a series of teaching that we're calling Multipliers, Passing on Our Faith Through Our Lives, Through Our Words, and Our Actions. Vamos a empezar esta nueva serie de enseñanza en el libro de Hechos 21 al 28 de cómo multiplicar nuestra fe por medio de nuestras vidas, acciones y palabras. So here at Imago Church, that's something that we highly value. If you even look here to the side, some of the core values of the church are that we would be a church that gathers, builds up, sends out, and multiplies. So we're learning this, so this season how to multiply and how to pass on our faith. Because at Imago Church, we are a community gathered in worship in order that we may be sent as witnesses to the good news of God, to the gospel. And in fact, that's what Jesus calls us to do. He sends us or he missions us as his followers to pass on this good news, not just to keep it in to ourselves, but to invite others and to pass it on with our words, with our actions, and with our very lives. Here at Imago Church, we are clear about the fact that we ourselves are not the story. We don't exist for ourselves, but we are actually witnesses of the eternal story of God, the, the good news of God's salvation for all people in all times, in all places. There is a way where it seemed like there is no, there was no way. Jesus made a way, made a connection with us and with God. And we get to pass on that good news to others to point to Jesus as where the life is at. And in fact, this same good news that we're gathered around is actually the same story that was witnessed by the early community of Christians in the book of Acts. As a church community, we'll be entering into this series from chapters 21 to 28. And some of you remember almost two years ago, we looked, we did a whole series on the Gospel of Mark to understand the vision that God has called us to be as a community. Here at Imago Church, God has formed this community so that we would be a gospel-centered, multicultural community where hope is built through restored relationships, restored relationships with God and with each other. And we looked to the Gospel of Mark to see the biblical foundation for what it means to be gospel-centered. And now we're looking to the book of Acts to help us understand what it means to be a multicultural community. And when we're really honest about it, we see that in the book of Acts, a multicultural community is simply a picture of God's family. That's a picture of the kingdom of God from the very beginning, from the very beginning. And so 
That's part of why we're looking at the, the book of Acts, to get the biblical basis for this second part of the vision that God has called us to, what it means to be a multicultural community. Estamos viendo el libro de Hechos para ayudarnos a entender la base bíblica de qué es ser una, comuni una comunidad multicultural. As a church community, we serve a God who sends. The Father sent the Son to save us. And in fact, the Son, Jesus, He sent the Holy Spirit to equip and to empower us. And then the Holy Spirit sends us, the people of God, to proclaim and live out the gospel and to pass it on. So this is how that rhythm works. We receive this faith and we pass it on to others through our words, through our actions, and through our lives. Servimos a un Dios que envía, un Dios que nos envía a proclamar el Evangelio. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus himself will equip us. Jesus himself will give us everything that we need in order to be sent and to multiply and to pass on this good news. And God calls us to multiply fruit, not just quick results, but eternal fruit. And in doing so, God will do the extraordinary with the ordinary. Dios va a hacer lo extraordinario con gente ordinaria. Wow, it's amazing to pause and think that that is the way that God chooses to work. He chooses to do extraordinary things with ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and me in different stages of life. That is the way that God works. And we see that that is the way that God worked ever since the beginning here in the book of Acts, using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And in this passage, there's all kinds of activity that's occurring. As Paul discerns whether or not to go into Jerusalem, we see in this passage that there are three main characters. There's Paul, there's Agabus, and there are the people around Paul and Agabus, and all three of them are trying to discern the will of God. And the very interesting thing here is that for all three main characters in this passage, we see that there are three different views on what the will of God is in the same situation. Aquí en este pasaje estamos viendo tres diferentes grupos, tres diferentes personas discerniendo qué es la voluntad de Dios. And it's very interesting because even we see that there are three different decisions on what the will of God is here in this passage. Paul, is his decision is he wants to go to Jerusalem. Agabus is a so-called prophet who uses dramatic action to show Paul what will happen if he goes to Jerusalem. And then the people, which in this scenario at face value, Paul, Agabus, and the people all seem completely different. But what are they doing? They're all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to get clarity on a decision. And they hope and pray that the decision that they make aligns with the will and the purpose of God. Who's ever been in that situation where there's a big decision you have to make? 
and you pray and you ask God, I pray that this decision would align with your will and your purposes. This is what we're entering into in this passage. Paul here is one of the the main characters that we see. And Paul here is in the middle of making a very big decision, a decision that could mean life or death for him. Pablo aquí está haciendo una gran decisión que puede ser vida o muerte para él. And here in this passage, we, we see what Paul is going through, and perhaps it's something we've gone through as well. Big decisions in life. For Paul, it was life or death. Maybe you've gone through that as well. But this was a decision that Paul had to make where it was coming to a fork in the road. Either he was going to go one direction or another direction. But whatever decision that he would make would impact the rest of the decisions in his life. Some of us have been there in those moments of transition in our lives, in those fork in the road moments, in those times where we have to close one chapter in life in order to begin another chapter in life. And with the way that this life is, if you're anything like me, you know that this life moves fast. It is constantly moving forward. The days are long, but the years fly by. But here we see that the reality is that with life constantly moving as it is, it is not difficult for us to come to a point of a decision-making crisis. There's a crisis in decision-making here in this passage. And in fact, indecision can set the tone for disagreement and confusion. There's a lot of disagreement and confusion in this passage. They're trying to figure out what they are supposed to do. The boat is right in front of them. They're right on the beach. And there's three different opinions on what decision to make. Agabus and Paul are arguing back and forth, and the people around them seem to be swayed with Agabus at first. Then they go with Paul. They don't know what to decide. There's a lot of noise, and there's a lot of opinions, and there's a lot of points of views that are being expressed. And even if you see here in this passage, there's even a lot of religious language. And still, there is no clear decision at first. They don't know what to do. Hay diferentes opiniones, pero no hay una decisión clara. And what we see here in this passage is actually the truest part of decision-making. And when we're in a crisis of decision-making. And it's this. Our crisis in decision-making actually reveals our insecurity. Cuando no podemos hacer decisión, eso demuestra nuestra inseguridad. Our crisis in decision reveals our insecurity, and our insecurity is uncomfortable. Because we know that we're not in control when we feel insecure. So sometimes, because we feel insecure in making a decision, what do we do? We make a quick decision, or a hasty decision, or a foolish one, or just plain bad decisions. Who's ever made a bad decision here? Who's with me? (laughs) Difficult decisions will reveal 
our insecurities, and our lack of control. Paul here in this passage has a crisis with which decision to make. He's wondering, should I stay or should I go? It even sounds like he may have even influenced that song from the British rock group, The Clash, back in the 70s and 80s. Some of you know it. Should I stay or should I go? If I go, there will be trouble. If I stay, there will be double. So you got to let me know, should I stay or should I go? <laughs> Paul is in the thick of it. He's wondering, should I listen to the prophet Agabus, the so-called expert, or should I be influenced by the people around me that are pressuring me in a particular direction? How many of us have been there? How many of us have ever experienced crisis with decision-making, with big decisions that will impact our families, with big decisions that will impact our futures, with decisions that will not only impact me, but those around me? Or on the other hand, how many of us here have been like Agabus, trying to influence a decision, trying to manipulate an outcome to see something happen? Pablo está en crisis de hacer una decisión. That's exactly what we see here happening in this passage. Paul here perhaps feels that he is being pushed completely up against a wall, up against a corner, and he doesn't know what to do. And with very little energy left in this situation, in this crisis, everyone around him seems to be an expert on his situation. Everyone around him seems to be able to give their two cents on what he needs to do. Ah, decisions, decisions. And amidst the crisis of indecision and insecurity and all the talking heads around Paul, what is he to do? En medio de la crisis de inseguridad y de indecisión, ¿qué debe que hacer el apóstol Pablo? We see here that there are two different parties offering different solutions. On the one hand, we see Agabus here. And Agabus is arguing with Paul. The prophet Agabus here, he can be similar to or be representative to us in our crisis in decision-making. Agabus is a lot like the systems, the experts, the institutions that offer a diagnostic of our problems and our crisis. They're a lot like the daytime talk shows, the commercials, trying to constantly convince us of the lie that we are in control and that there is a quick fix to the challenge. But sometimes these things can actually be an overload of information. And many times they have an accurate description of the problem or the crisis, but they do not have a solution. All they have is information. All of us know an Agabus. And perhaps we've had an Agabus in our lives. The Agabus in our lives loves to point out the problems. <laughs> the Agabus in our lives is, anyone, is, is one that loves to just give us tons of information. 
But the truth is that anyone can point out a problem. But what we need in a crisis of decision-making is not just more information, not just pointing out a problem, but what we need is a real solution. A real solution from a living God who meets us where we are, here and now. A living God that will take us where we need to be. So that's Agabus on one, on one side. And then we have another influence by what the scripture here calls the people. The people here are even inspiring Paul. They're offering up inspiration to, in this decision-making crisis. They are the people that are sincerely trying their best. We have people like this in our lives as well. People that have great intentions yet fail to provide a real solution to the decision-making crises that we find ourselves in. Friends, let's be clear about this. It is only the power of our living Lord Jesus Christ that goes beyond information, that goes beyond inspiration, but it is only Jesus who is the one who leads us to transformation. He leads us to transformation in our decision-making. So even in those points where we have to make those big decisions, that can be a point that Jesus can use to shape us and to transform us. So what do we see here? We can ask ourselves, so when exactly does Paul figure it out? When does Paul get clarity on what to do? And here the passage doesn't tell us exactly, but in Knowing what we know about Paul, I can imagine this. I can imagine, based on his other writings in the New Testament, that Paul takes a moment. Paul takes a moment of clarity, and he stops hearing just the information that Agabus has to give. He stops listening or being influenced by the inspiration that the people have. But it is when Paul places Jesus at the center of the decision-making process, that's when Paul gets clarity. And we see here the moment when that happens. In verse 12, in chapter 21, if we can put it up, the passage in Acts 21, verse 12, it says this, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's when Jesus became the center of the decision-making process that the clarity came. Paul says, I will follow Jesus no matter what. And what if maybe, just maybe, that is the one decision that influences all other decisions. That is the decision that will impact all other decisions in this life, that I will follow Jesus no matter what. What if today you could make that decision to just simply say, like Paul, I will follow Jesus no matter what. I am willing to die for the Lord Jesus. 
Though he slay me, I will follow him no matter what. What if that grand decision actually impacts all the smaller decisions in this life? No matter if things do not go my way, I will follow him. No matter what people say, no matter what that internal critic says in my head, I will follow him. No matter what Satan, the accuser, tries to convince me of, no matter what the past may have been, no matter what the future may hold, I will follow him no matter what. I am willing to die for the Lord Jesus. The decision that impacts all other decisions. And what Paul is able to see here is exactly what Jesus taught him, and Jesus taught the disciples, which is the truth that we keep running away from. But it's the truth that we gain life when we give it away. We gain strength when we surrender. We experience abundance financial stewardship when we're generous with our resources. We gain energy when we are generous with our time with others and when we make room in our life for relationship. And we gain wisdom and clarity when we let go of control and when we trust in Jesus no matter what. That's the point where Paul gets clarity. And he puts Jesus at the center of the decision-making process. And that's the beautiful thing, that the living Lord that we worship, he meets us here and now, just as we are, and takes us where we need to be. Nuestro Dios nos encuentra tal como estamos y nos lleva donde necesitamos ir. The living Lord Jesus is committed to real people like you and me. And he will walk through this real life, the real circumstances, the real crises, the real challenges. Because here, what we see is that Jesus, again, meets ordinary people and does something extraordinary. And the will of God is aligned with the heart of God. And the heart of God is committed to real people like you and me. Not just our Sunday's best, but our Monday through Friday and the grind of Wednesday, a real God committed to real people, people created in his image. And because you and I are created in his image, guess what? That means that we have power. We have the power to make decisions. We have the power to choose and to decide God is not committed to just some blueprint, but God is committed to you. God will be faithful to you, even in your moments of insecurity, even in your indecisiveness, even in flakiness. Jesus will be faithful. That's who he is. That's who he's chosen to be to us. And Paul here, we can see how he even impacted others through his choices. When he put Jesus at the center of his choices, that impacted the people that were around him. Paul multiplied his faith and he passed it on and influenced others through his decisions. We can influence those around us with our decisions. Parents, we can influence our children through our decisions decisions. 
couples, we can influence each other through our decisions. Young people, we can influence our friends through our decisions. Each one of us is a product of decisions. In fact, I'm a product of decisions that I've made as well as decisions that others have made that have impacted me. And then there are also circumstances, which are things that are outside of anyone's power or decisions. But what we see here is this beautiful reality that we can even pass on our faith and impact others through our decision-making process. Our decisions can be a part of our witness. Nuestras decisiones pueden ser parte de nuestro testimonio. Paul here multiplied his faith and he passed it on to others and influenced others through this decision when he put Jesus at the center and said, I will follow no matter what. We see here how that impacted the people around him in the passage. Let's put it up again, please. In chapter 21, verse 14, it says this, when he would not be dissuaded, we the people, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Wow, Paul's decision influenced their faith. And now they have a new posture of faith. They're not saying, Lord, if you can, but they're saying, Lord, may it be your will. The people here are practicing and living out real faith, real faith which says, God, if you will, because I know that you can, but yet not my will, but your will be done. That's the prayer of faith. That's the prayer of confidence to yield and say, Lord, your will, not my will be done. You see things that I don't, so your will, not my will, be done. And even when others make decisions that we may like or not like, we entrust them, we yield and say, Lord, your will, but not my will, be done. So here, this is a very important part of this passage, understanding what is the will of God. ¿Qué es la voluntad de Dios? And there are different passages we can look at to understand that in the Bible. But one of the passages that we look at is actually in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 29, where it talks about the work of God. And it says this, it says, the work of God is to believe in the one that he has sent. So the work of God is to believe in Jesus, the one that God has sent. So the will of God is this. The will of God is that we put Christ at the center of everything we do and of the decisions that we make. You know, we have to let go of our old ideas of what the will of God is. The will of God is not so much like a puppeteer making puppets dance. The will of God is not so much like an old man with a big beard up in the sky pulling a bunch of levers. No, that's not the will of God. God is actually so much more real, so much more merciful, so much more relational than that. The will of God is not so much like those things, but the best image that I can think of, and I've shared this perhaps with some of you in our, in our conversations on discernment, but the will of God is a lot more like a parent, like a mother or father who goes to the ice cream store and the, the, the will of that parent is to simply be with their child. 
But then when they go to the ice cream store, the, the parent says, choose. Choose the flavor that you want. And I will be with you in what you choose. And in fact, that father, this can apply to father or mother, but I'll use father since I'm a dad, but that father is committed to the child and to simply being with them. The father being with the child, that is the will of the father. And that's how the will of God works. When God is at the center of our lives and we put him at the center of our decision-making, that is the will of God to be with the child, to be at the center of their life. But now let me ask you this. What if the child completely misses the point of the will of the father? And the child is convinced that the will of the father has to do with which ice cream flavor to choose. And then the, the child completely obsesses over which ice cream flavor to pick and they can't decide between strawberry or chocolate they can't decide between staying or going, between trying the job or not, between doing this or doing that. What if that becomes the obsession and we miss the whole point of the will of God, which is to be at the center of our lives as we make decisions? You know, and sometimes the decision, we can obsess over it when it's as simple as making a choice between strawberry or chocolate or some of these new flavors that have come out that I have no idea what they even are. You know, a few years ago, I remember uh, Charlotte and I went up to Santa Cruz and we went to my favorite ice cream shop. And I thought that the choice would be that easy, just between strawberry, vanilla, chocolate. But when I asked for vanilla or, or chocolate, they actually said that they didn't have it. They said, all we have is actually the new flavors. We have, you can pick between caramel, balsamic, swirl ice cream, pumpkin gelato, brown butter bacon ice cream, cilantro lime ice cream. I'll tell you, that was a hard decision. I was indecisive. I had no idea what they were talking about. So I said, you know what? I'll just have some strawberry. One scoop. And we left it at that. Friends, God is committed to you as his child. He is committed to simply being with you in the ups and the downs and all of the decisions of this life. The father being with the child, that is the will of the father. With life, with God at the center, that is God's will for us. And that is the will of God for your life. So don't fret or become overly anxious about strawberry or chocolate or that one little decision because God's will is to be with you and that you would have him at the center of your decisions. He is committed to you. So the first choice is the choice that we all get to make. The first choice is to believe in him, the one who God sent and as we believe in him and align our heart with his heart, guess what? He's at the center of our decision-making, and that is the will of God. All of our choices about God are a response to actually God's decisions and choices about us. And I love that, you know, even a lot of us have had moments of indecision, 
of challenge, of flakiness, even me, even all of us. But I'm so grateful that God has made choices about us. God has made crystal clear decisions. He doesn't go back and forth. He's not lukewarm about it. He has made crystal clear decisions about His decisions toward us, about what He wants for us. And we see this in a few passages in the Scriptures in the Old Testament. In the prophet Jeremiah, we'll read two brief passages you know, Agabus is a so-called prophet. He had tons of information. But Jeremiah is who we refer to as a man of God, as a major prophet who spoke to the people of God in a time of need. And in Jeremiah 7, 23, he makes crystal clear what God's decisions have been for us. And it says this, in Jeremiah 7.23, it says, But I gave them this command, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. We've been talking these last few weeks that obedience is just wisdom in action. It's living out a life of wisdom. That's what obedience is. And the will of God is this, that it may go well with you when we align our heart with his heart. And then in chapter 31, verse 33, we see yet again another big decision that God has made toward us. In Jeremiah 31, 33, if we can put it up, it says this, this is the covenant. This is the choice. This is the decision that God has made. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel, with the people of God. That's me and you. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's God's decision toward you. The good news of the gospel is this. Our hope is built not on our indecision, not on our flakiness, but our hope is built in God's decision. And God has decided, I will be their God and they will be my people. He is our God and he is committed to us. He is your God, and He is committed to you. And hallelujah, even in our indecisiveness, He will be forever faithful. Let's pray together. Vamos a orar juntos. O Lord God, great is your faithfulness. Que gran es tu fidelidad, Señor. It's unlike anything that we have seen or experienced. And Lord God, we just pray that uh, today, Lord, you would take us somewhere new. Take us to another level. Take us to deeper faith, to deeper trust in you. Lord, pour out on us your living water. 
and send us. Envíanos, Dios Santo. Danos tu agua viva y envíanos. As we go out from here, Lord, to love and serve those around us, our family, our neighbors, you, God Almighty, as we pass on this good news through our lives, through our faith, through our words, through our actions, God, would you be our strength? Que seas nuestra fuerza, Dios Santo. Continue to build your church, O oh Lord. Make us new. Haznos nuevas criaturas, Dios Santo. And Lord, we pray that this morning some of us can make that decision. Can make that decision to follow you no matter what. Or some of us can go to that next level, Lord. And like Paul say, I will follow Jesus no matter what. I, even, I am even willing to die for the Lord Jesus. So we know that it, through death comes life, Lord. That when we give it away, we gain, Lord. And that is how you work in the unique and beautiful and mysterious way that you work. So I pray, Lord, that today, whether we're taking those first steps in following you or that next step in committing to you, we can pray these words. And right where you are, you can pray to God. And you can also use these words. You can pray and say, Lord, I acknowledge that you are God and I am not. I need you to be gracious to me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to heal me and to make my heart alive. Today I give up in trusting in myself and I put my life in your hands. Today I choose to follow Jesus no matter what. Today I choose to put Jesus at the center of my decision making. Even if it feels strange or awkward or foreign to me, today we choose, Lord. And we know that you will meet us there in the thick of it. And even though we may not understand everything, Lord, we want to pursue you today, to pursue you with our whole lives, with our words, with our actions. Thank you, God, for being our Savior. Thank you for initiating the decision and saying that you will be our God and we will be your people. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for loving each one of us. It's in the faithful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.